Okay, good evening everyone. Hello. Today is the 25th day of the month of Adar Shani, and it's actually the birthday of the Rebbe's wife, Rebbe Tzimchai Mushka, the, the woman who uh, many, who many uh, women are named after. Wait, I thought her birthday was in February. Was that the birthday for death? That was her passing. It was the 22nd day of Shvat. And I'd like to share with you today's entry in Hayom Yom. Very powerful. It's, uh, it's connected to a chassid of Rabbi Shneur Zaman of Liadi. At that time, Rabbi Shneur Zaman, he was in the city of Liadi. And Rabbi Mordechai came to Rabbi Shneur Zaman, and the first saying he heard, this is without entering into a private audience, a yechidos, the first saying he heard was, Vas mentarnit tarmenit. What we're not allowed to do, we're not allowed to do. But Vasman Meg, what we may, Garfman, if we don't need to. What we're not allowed to do, we're not allowed to do. But what we're permitted to do, we don't need to. And Rabbi Mordechai, upon hearing this concept, he says he spent three to four years working on this concept. And after he worked on this concept, at that time, he entered into a private audience with Rabbi Schneir Zalman. Very powerful idea. Again, what. We're not allowed to do, we're not allowed to do. Good evening, Melissa. But what we're allowed to do doesn't mean we need to do it. Today's class should be a merit for a young boy who just passed away, unfortunately, tragically. What was his name? Anyone know his Hebrew name? Yefim Fleshler. Yefim. And uh, today's learning should be an elevation for his soul. Was it ingression? I'm not sure exactly where it was. My parents live here. I don't know. I'm not sure. What happened? Well, we'll leave it for another time. We'll leave it for another time. After the class. We, we say that Torah is corresponding to everything. Talmud Torah connected to Hulam. So essentially, the, the phrase is telling us that more than anything else, it's most important to learn Torah. Now you'll remember that we learned the opposite a few weeks ago already. So we, we always go back and forth, what is greater Torah, what is greater mitzvahs, but today we're going to focus on the greatness of the Torah. And to quickly summarize what we've learned until now from chapter 5, in your handouts, it's on page number 2, we're going to just read a tiny paragraph. This is a wonderful union. And in our Tanya, we're on page 20, bottom of the right column, this is a wonderful union. This is really going to catch us up. We're saying regarding the Torah, learning Torah creates a wonderful union like which there is no other and which has no parallel anywhere in the entire material world whereby complete oneness and unity from every side and angle could be attained. Torah creates this ultimate bond like nothing else. That's what we learned last week. And this week we're going to learn what it means that the Torah is bread. You know, uh, David, he called me up and he told me tonight's class is going to be very crummy. Okay. <laughs> He's outside and he must have a call. <laughs> Hence, 
the special superiority. Let's continue on. And, and now we're going to talk about, again, how Torah is a life force of our soul. Kiheim chayenu, everyone familiar with the word? Kiheim chayenu varech yameinu. We see Torah is our life. Literally our life. Bread is our life. Torah is our life. Hence, the special superiority, infinitely great and wonderful, that is in the commandment of knowing the Torah and comprehending it. Now we're saying that means learning Torah and comprehending it has a special superiority. What, if for something to be super, we have to have an established level. We have to know what, what's good, what's better. What is good? When we talk about the Torah and mitzvot, what is good that something else is even more super? Melissa, what's good? Ask Lottie. Lottie, what's good? I was going to say when the world, like, this was like the first day and it was good, and then Tuesday, next thing happened and it was good. So. Good. That's God saying it's good. Okay. God saying it's good, and that's also regarding creation of the world. But as humans, what is good? What is, if someone told you life is good, what would that mean in a, in a spiritual level? It would mean they're connected to God. Life is good. I'm attaining my ultimate task of doing what Hashem wants and being one with Him. So when we say that the Torah has a special superiority, that means that our oneness with God is greater through learning Torah than through, than through anything else. And that's what we're saying here. Hence, the special superiority, infinitely great and wonderful, that is in the commandment of knowing the Torah and comprehending it. Over all the commandments involving action, and even those relating to speech, okay, Torah is greater than any, any physical action of putting on tefillin. Torah is greater than any, than any verbal action like prayer. Could anyone share another verbal action? What would be a verbal, a verbal mitzvah? One we do with our mouth. A bracha. A bracha. And even the commandment to study Torah which is fulfilled through speech. Torah is greater than the commandment to study Torah. No, no, that doesn't make sense. Learning Torah is greater than the... Lottie, back to you. Back to me. <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. I, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read the words and you can tell me. Hence, the special superiority, infinitely great and wonderful, that is in the commandment of knowing the Torah and comprehending it, over all the commandments involving action, and even those relating to speech, and even the commandment to study the Torah, which is fulfilled through speech. Basha. What, what, what did you want? What did, I just want to know, is how could learning Torah be greater than learning Torah? How could Torah, learning Torah be, be greater than, than learning Torah? The journey, not the destination. Show me that in the words. That we're, we're performing mitzvot and learning Torah and, and the process of doing so. So are you picking out the word knowing and studying? Are you saying that we're saying knowing the Torah, <laughs> knowing the Torah is greater than studying the Torah? No, you're saying, you're saying good. You're saying fantastic. No, no, no. That, that's, first of all, that's a great ob observation. Michael, what's the answer? Um, 
Okay, footnote number t number five. <laughs> footnote number five, right, Michael? That's what you were gonna say. Right. This is written by Reb Shlomo Gantri to the Kitter Shulchan Aruch in the year around the year eighteen eighty. It's not his own words. It's already the words of his predecessors, the Shulchan Aruch, the Tour, the Gemara. One should take care on everything he studies to say it out loud, so that one could hear one's voice when you study. You should not study quietly. You should say verbally out loud. One who says words of Torah out loud, even if not understanding them, fulfills the mitzvah of Torah study. Just saying the words of Torah is a mitzvah. Therefore, an unlearned person says the blessings for Torah study every morning before the verses, and also when one is called to the Torah. That means you could have a simple person come and he's called up to the Torah. He has no clue what in the world he's saying. He still makes a blessing because learning Torah, that you don't need to understand what you're saying. But you need to say it out loud. If you learn Torah without saying it out loud, you're not, you're not learning Torah. So much so, that in the morning when we wake up, we are not allowed to learn until we wash our hands. But we're allowed to think Torah. Because we're not doing a mitzvah by thinking Torah. Mitzvah is to say the Torah out loud. This means there's two parts to the to, to Torah. One part is saying the Torah, saying it out loud. That has nothing to do with comprehension. Part number two has to do with comprehension, the mitzvah to understand the Torah. And and therefore we shouldn't really we shouldn't think deeply on the Torah before washing our hands. I was making a simple observation that, that quick thought is, wouldn't be such a problem. So again, we have thinking Torah and saying Torah. And that is what, now we understand what Rabbi Shneer Zalman is saying. Let's look back inside. Hence the special superiority, infinitely great and wonderful, that is in the commandment of knowing the Torah. You see, Lottie, you knew the answer. You said wonderfully. <laughs> knowing the Torah, comprehending it, not speech, Knowing it and comprehending it is completely greater over all the commandments involving action and even those relating to speech and even the commandment to study the Torah which is fulfilled through speech. So the aspect of understanding, the mitzvah to understand the Torah is infinitely greater than the mitzvah to, to study the Torah verbally. Please. When we um, when we do the mitzvah of kindness to a person, yeah, is that and that fulfills the is that kind of extending the Torah? Is that no? Nope. Mitzvah is a mitzvah, and study is study. One of the mitzvahs is to love your fellow friend. And it's not only one of the mitzvahs, but we know the story where Hillel told someone standing on one foot is the whole Torah. But nonetheless, that's not Torah study. So the application isn't what you're talking about? Nope. We're saying there's studying Torah and there's verbalizing the study of Torah. So that man that goes up to the Torah and he makes a blessing on, on the reading of the Torah, he's fulfilling the mitzvah of Torah study, but he's not creating that one with, oneness with God because he doesn't understand what he's saying. 
that oneness that we discussed last week, where you become one with Hashem, and Hashem becomes one with you, is only when you understand it and comprehend it. And that's what we're going to say clearly. For through all the commandments involving speech, our mouth, or action, the Holy One, blessed be He, closes the soul and envelops it from head to foot with the divine light. If you do mitzvot, so fine. Hashem comes and He completely surrounds you with the divine light. However, with regard to knowledge of the Torah, apart from the fact that the intellect that you're thinking is clothed in divine wisdom, that means your mind, by studying Torah, your mind is surrounded by God. The divine wisdom is also contained in it. Remember we said that not only does Hashem surround you, but when you study Torah, it's in your brain. That means you surround the Torah. You're surrounding Hashem. To the ex- when you study Torah, you own it. Remember we discussed last week? You own it. It's yours. When you do a mitzvah, Hashem surrounds you. But that's not so great. It's even greater when you own Hashem, so to say. And that's when you study Torah and it becomes one with you. How much do you need to study Torah? Do you need to be a brilliant man? Not at all. To the extent his intellect comprehends. As long as you do what you can, then you own the Torah that you you have grasped. You have grasped, and remember, no matter what part of the Torah you grasp, you got the essence of God. When we write write a Sefer Torah, there's a custom that we purchase a letter. And by purchasing a letter, it's as if we own the whole Torah. So people said, people started asking, I want to know which letter is mine. Because I want my letter to be the Aleph of Anochi, of the Ten Commandments. It just costs a lot more. The Rebbe says, based on, based on Talmudic resources, never tell someone which letter he got. Why? Because this is based on Maimonides, he already says. That the story in the Torah about this inappropriate happenings with Lot and his daughters, the stories in the Torah, which relate to us as sins the Jews do, Jews did, unfortunately, have the same holiness as the Aleph of Anochi. The whole Torah is one. God is within every single letter. So if you tell someone, oh, you got this letter, they may be offended. They're like, ah, you give me this pay in the middle of this bad pasuk. But it's false. Every single letter is... And that is why if one letter is missing, it doesn't say if the Aleph of the Ten Commandments is missing, the Torah is invalid. It says even if the Lamed of the letter Lot is missing, the whole Torah is invalid. You could find, in your opinion, find me the worst word in Torah. If that word is missing, the Torah is gone. It's history. You could put it, you could put it in Geniza, put it in Shamus. Every single letter is equal, and that's what we're learning here. Every single letter is equally valid, and therefore, no one should say, oh, I'm not so smart, and I can't become united with God. It has nothing to do, like Rabbi Shneir Zalman is saying, he says, to the extent his intellect, intellect comprehends, the second you understand one letter of the Torah, no matter what letter it is, You've gotten God's essence. And you've, you've got His essence. You're surrounding the essence of Hashem, the Torah. To the extent that His intellect comprehends, grasps, and encompasses as much as it is able so to do. As much as it is able to do so. Of the knowledge of the Torah, every man according to his intellect, again, 
Every man according to his intellect, his knowledgeable capacity, and his comprehension. If you do what you need to do, Hashem will do what, he, what Hashem needs to do. I hope everyone could join next Wednesday. It's at a... It's, at not, a, it's not at the best time. It's, it's Wednesday morning. Maybe we'll make a makeup class, but it's called Crazy About Pesach, or Pesach Makes Me Crazy. It's gonna be, and one of the things we're going to discuss, we're going to discuss, you know, why we go crazy, crazy, crazy about chametz. And there's a quote that's going to be a focus of the class, and that is, Hashem says, Peace choli kechudoshal machat, open, make, make a hole within yourself the size of a needle. And I'll take that hole and make it big enough for wagons, big, big caravans to pass through. You just make that initial poke, you know, like a child says, open the orange. You make, you make the small hole, you p- find some place for me inside of yourself, and I'll work together with you. Start it off first. And that's what we're saying here. Hashem is not asking you to do, do what you can. Your intellect, your ability. You know, we said that the Torah surrounds you. So we said that the mitzvot surround you. And the Torah, when we learn Torah, we actually surround the Torah. What does it mean for something to surround you? Does that mean that Yishai is walking around with this plastic bag surrounding him? Like God is like a plastic... Is that the definition of surrounding? Bubble. A bubble. Are we, oh, maybe we do live in a bubble. Not maybe. The truth is we do live in a bubble. But Hillsdale bubble. What? Hillsdale bubble. Hillsdale? It's a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does it mean that God surrounds us? You walk into a shul and you see someone davening and he's lost in his davening, completely lost. And he's crying bitter tears. He's, he's, he's really emotional. He's feeling what he's saying. And you get caught up in that energy. And you're now aroused. And you now are feeling that you want to become closer to God. Liz, is that a real feeling or is it a fake feeling? (laughs) Joni, is it real or fake? It's real for that person at that time. So it's a real feeling. It's genuine. It's genuine. Is it going to be a lasting feeling? Maybe, maybe it's in that moment in time. So it, it's not a lasting feeling. Maybe, maybe. Because there's no intellect to it. You don't understand it. It's emotional. It's emotional. You saw someone's emotions and they've grabbed your emotions. But you're going to leave that room. Maybe you'll still be, you know, maybe you'll be caught up with that for a little bit. But you're going to lose that very quickly. Because you haven't grasped it. And that is what it means when we say the Torah surrounds you. The Torah is there. It's like that person that you're, you're caught up in the emotions, but it's not going to become one with you. If you sit next to that man forever, you may forever feel those feelings. But again, they're not one with you. And that is when you learn Torah, the Torah is there. The energy is there. But it hasn't become one with you. Well, not with Torah. It's the other way. When you do mitzvot, we're saying it surrounds you, the energy is there, but it hasn't become one with you. Just like when you sit next to that man, davening, man or woman, of course, davening with tremendous emotion. But Torah is becoming one with us. But it could start a different emotion for you. 
it might not be the same emotion that person's having, but you can then have your own emotion that comes out of it. Has it around? Has it aroused an intellectual understanding within you? It could. Guys, you. Uh, let me tell you. I see this uh, just by the girls in our school sometimes. See, one girl starts crying and everyone starts crying. And right. ask them why they're crying. They have no clue why you they're crying. You can't someone have you ever it's seen such a thing? It's a game. It's a game? <laughs> <laughs> That's, they're not really crying. I mean, no, they're really crying. But they don't, they, they're going to stop crying in a second. It's not, it's not, there's nothing. But if you're around that person all the time... And like you're saying, like you're, and that person's always emotionally aroused by prayer. Yeah. That can rub off on somebody. A hundred percent. Mitzvahs are great. Right. And that's why we do mitzvahs, because yes, there's something so big happening. So could then become emotionally in their, in their dominating, at their level. They could become emotional, but when they're going to leave that person, it's probably going to fall. I'm not going to say 100% it won't, but I'll say the chances of it surviving are not so big. 100%. That it could. But then it's like mob psychology when it's convenient. It's in the group, but then if you're apart, it's the, the, it's like the psychology of the whole group. The Torah is sticking, the mitzvahs are sticking with you. So it's as if you, you're, you're traveling with that emotional, emotional person, that, that positive emotion. It's there, but it hasn't become one with you. Unless they walk the walk for a long enough time. Or you're saying intellectual connection or understanding is is uh, a higher significance and retained and sustained because there's a more of a connection intellectually. Yes, yes, it's 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 more what yes, it's more you, correct, correct. Um, Rabbi Gordon said. Everything that you've been saying, the only thing he said that was different that I think is kind of interesting is that um, um, that Torah study when when we when we uh, learn Torah, um, it's enwrapped and enveloped and surround and we're surrounded by God's will and God's wisdom is all around him and goes to the kishkes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great. But the truth is, maybe that's from like a paragraph further. Because we're going to talk about the Torah as food in about a minute. Thank you, but I but I do appreciate that. <laughs> and let me say that I anything Rabbi Gordon says, please share it. I'd love to hear. When the Midnag Midnagadim, the Midnagadim emphasized the rational side of Judaism as expressed through the study of Torah. It was a cold, impersonal thing. Emotion had no role. The Baal Shem Tov said emotion has a great deal of relationship to it. And emotion should be let in because if you don't temper the rational with the emotional, you don't achieve the full purpose and the full goal of Judaism. Therefore, I would respectfully suggest that the performance of mitzvot without the emotional content is not Hasidism. It's the Vilna Gaon. And so consequently, far more than existed before, we have to let that in and combine it. Yes, valid point. I'm, I, again, I fully told we must do mitzvot. 
at this current moment, we're just focusing on Torah and bringing out its, its, its quality. 100%. We're not taking away from its foes. Thank you. The Rabbi Shneir Zalman adds two words to the end of this paragraph. Could anyone tell me the last two words of this paragraph, please? Don't shout out at once. <laughs> we just finished the paragraph, hence. What's the last two words? In pardes. What In pardes. That means you need to understand as much as you can of pardes. What is pardes? The garden. The garden. What's the garden? So we spoke about this in, previously, but I'd like to bring it back up because there's a tremendous, tremendous idea we can learn from these two words. Pardes is spelled Pe-Reish-Dalid. Samach. Each one of these four words, each one of these four letters, stands for a separate word. Pei stands for <coughs> pshat, the simple meaning. The reish stands for remez, the secrets. Or sorry, I take that not the secrets, the, the hints. A remez is like a hint. The Baal HaTurim very often, he'll tell you that you know what? The numerical value of this is 85. The numerical value of this word is 85. Let's combine them. A hint. The third letter of Pardes is Dalit. Dalit stands for Dirush. Expound. I see a beautiful passage and I... Let's expound upon it. And the Samach is Soid, the secrets of the Torah, the Kabbalah. Pshat, Remez, Drush, Soid. Simple hints secrets, simple hints, ex, um, expounding, and secrets. And what Rabbi Shneur Zaman is telling us is he's saying we must try to understand each one of these four levels. You know, people say that the secrets of the Torah, when you have time, when you have time you should learn it, but the truth is it's not true. The secrets of the Torah are equally important. If you want to be able to love God and fear God, we must learn the secrets. And that is what we're learning now. Rabbi Shneur Zaman is saying, you want to connect with God. You want to go ahead and have this unity with Hashem. It's not enough to learn just the weekly parsha. It's not enough to just go ahead and learn the numerical values on the weekly parsha. It's not even enough to just learn the Gemara on the weekly parsha. And guess what? It's not even enough to only learn the Hasidic discourses on the parsha because we have to have all four. We have to learn the weekly Torah portion. We have to try as much as we can. And again, if we're limited, that's fine. But as much as our time allows us, we have to try and learn the simple hints, expounding, and secrets of the Torah. And that's all of us here. I think all of you do do that. If you learn the weekly portion and you learn a little Tanya every week, you go ahead and... So, so we are doing that. But again, each, over here we learn that each one of these four details is equally important. Any questions? The word means orchard though, doesn't it? Correct. And, and what's an orchard? An orchard has many types of fruits. Or many types, and, and that's exactly the point. You have to have all these different types. Now, in Az Yashir, when the Jewish people, they crossed over the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds, and they came out, they sang a song, Tashem. And in that song they say, Ze keli ve'anvehu, elokei avi va'reimimenhu. 
The literal translation is Zekheili, this is my God, and I'll glorify him. Aleke Avi, the God of my father, and I'll exalt him. But I'd like to share with you a beautiful, beautiful new method of understanding this puzzle. The puzzle tells us, Zekheili, this is my God. I understand God. Ve'anvehu. What does ve'anvehu mean? Ani. What does ani mean? I. Vahu. I and you. This tremendous unity. This tremendous bond between you and I. Zach Haley, if it's my God, I understand God on a personal level, then there's intimate connection. Aniva who? You and I. If it's Elokei oh, I have a tradition, it's my, God, it's my Father's God, and He told me to trust in God, <laughs> then Va'arayimamen, who God is exalted. God is great, but I'm not connected. Let's read this inside in footnote number six. Tremendous. These are words from the Shalah, the Shnei Luchos Abris, Rabbi Horowitz of blessed memory from, um, from a few hundred years ago. He writes the following. This is my God, Ve'anvehu. The God, of, again, we're in footnote number six. The God of my father, Varei Memenhu, a quote from past Exodus 15.2. When this is my God, through my understanding and knowledge, then Aniva who? He and I, complete unity is created. Just like we mentioned in the Tanya. We, we, we have Hashem. However, when my knowledge is through tradition, not my own understanding and thought. That's like Avi. When it's my father's God, he told me, then Va'arayimamen who? I will ascribe to him exaltation, meaning Hashem is exalted and distanced from me. So we must try to understand Hashem as much as possible, because of course we can't understand Hashem. Hashem but, but nonetheless, Hashem demands that what we can, we should. So, so far we've discussed that we need to go ahead and understand Hashem as much as we can. And when we do that, we own... I always like to say, I always want to repeat, Kaviyochel, if it's possible, because we can't own Hashem. But it's as if we own Hashem. Just like the, food, the tea you're drinking now, could you give it back? I mean, I'd rather if you don't. But you can't give it back, right? It's yours. You own the tea. <laughs> the tea. No, I'm saying in your body. Though what's in your body, you own it. So when you learn the Torah, you own it. And now, now we understand why the Torah is called food. Since in the case of the knowledge of the Torah, the Torah is closed in the soul and intellect of a person, the Torah is mine. I'm talking to each of you. Each of you say the Torah is yours. Not m each of us understand, well, whatever we understand is ours. And remember, we only need to understand what we can understand. And is absorbed in them so it's called bread. The Torah is called bread. And food of the soul. For just as physical, we're if in the hand we're on page number three. For just as physical bread nourishes the body as it is absorbed internally, in his very self, the bread is transformed into blood and, and flesh of his flesh, whereby he lives and exists, just like bread becomes me. You, if you open someone up, you wouldn't find the bread there. You'd find the person. You may find particles of the bread that the body can't handle. But the good part of the bread becomes you. 
So too, it is with the knowledge of the Torah and its comprehension by the soul of the person who studies it well, with the concentration of his intellect. So when someone goes ahead and they study Torah well, until the Torah is absorbed by his intellect and united with it, and they become one, the Torah is you, just like bread is yours. This becomes nourishment for the soul, and its inner life from the giver of life, who is the giver of life, the blessed Ain Sof, who is clothed in his wisdom and in his Torah that are absor absorbed in it, the soul. So when we learn Torah, we have gotten the blessed Ain Sof. And there is no other method to get the blessed Ain Sof. Because Hashem is above us. But we mentioned like water, Hashem came into the Torah, like water is high, it comes down, it's the same water above. Hashem came into the Torah, and the same Hashem above is Hashem in the Torah. We, whatever we learn, we learn about how you have to go ahead and leave fallen, stock, fallen, grain, fallen stocks of grain on the ground for the poor. When you learn that piece of Torah, you've learned Hashem, you've united with Hashem. There is no greater unity. There is no unity imaginable. Like the unity of when we learn Torah. Because then we are one. There's nothing in this world where you become one. In our world, there are mixes. You can mix liquid. But at the end of the day, the liquids never fully and completely mix. You know, food coloring, so people have used food coloring as an example to prove that when you mix two liquids, it takes over the entire thing, <clears throat> the entire item. David may argue with me, and he, and he has every right to argue with me, but the, the complete and ultimate unity is only in learning Torah. Nothing like that. Argument? Why would I argue with that? Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take it. You know, Rashi... On Mishli, he tells us, let's look in, in footnote number 7. And it's awesome. You know, everyone knows the story of... Everyone knows the story of the wife of Isaac, Yitzchak. What was his wife's name? Yitzchak's wife was Rivka. Rivka was pregnant with twins. And she passed by Yeshiva... And she felt as if she's about to give birth. Or she felt tremendous kicking. She passes by bad place and she feels that kicking again. And that's when she goes to the astrologers and she says, what's going on? If you tell me that in one place <coughs> their kicking is fine, but in two, doesn't, something's wrong. And that's when they said, you're going to have two children. Mm. One like this, one like this. But what is the solution for someone trying to run away? What is the solution for someone that has no interest in learning Torah? So in Mishli we learn the answer. The answer is, you want to stop learning Torah? So what should you do? Feed him Torah! Get swallowed by a whale. <laughs> Get swallowed. <laughs> if, if, someone, if someone's sick, what, is it, what does the Talmud say you should do? Learn Torah. 
So when, I, when we used to be sick in yeshiva, we used to say, oh, we can't learn Torah. <laughs> so our rebellion would say, you're sick. I'll, I'll cure you. Come learn, come learn more. But if, if someone doesn't want to learn Torah, what should he do? So the answer is, drag him back into yeshiva. It's not my own quote. Let's see it inside number seven. If your enemy is hungry, feed him bread. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Who is your enemy, says Rashi, referring to the evil inclination. If he is hungry and tells you to satiate him with sins, what should you do? Draw yourself into the study hall and feed him the bread of Torah. And likewise, give him the water of the Torah to drink Rashi. But what we see from here is that Torah is called bread and water. So, the Torah, just like bread... I hope everyone here, everyone eats supper already? If not, I hope you eat it right when you go home. But if you did eat supper, it's part of you already. Well, just similarly, what we're learning now, hopefully, is part of you. It's one. It's one with you. Now, the thing about what you're learning now is it can never be taken away. It's impossible. Your Torah study can never be taken away. There was a group of people on a boat. And they were bragging. One person said, I'm the best, I'm a diamond merchant. Another one said, I, if only you knew my talents, I could go ahead and I'm able to uh, chop down wood. And another said, they were all bragging. There was one guy sitting in the corner learning Torah. And they said, what is your talent? And he just ignored them learning Torah. And they laughed at him, they mocked him. This went on for a few days, laughing at this poor man poor young man sitting in the corner and the boat was captured by pirates they were all they were all taken into slavery well we all know that Jewish people one of the biggest mitzvot is to redeem a captive Pidyon Shavuyim Pidyon Shavuyim thank God today it's not so applicable but back not even so long ago, 150 years ago, 200 years ago in Russia, we hear all these stories. People would be taken and thrown into a dungeon because they couldn't pay up, you know, their rent. So these people, but now, and, and the Torah says that a Jew, it's a very big mitzvah, pity and shivuy. And therefore, the Jewish people would often go to the places where slaves were sold and see what's the story and redeem their fellow brethren. And this rabbi comes, and the Jews here, not only is he a Jew, but he's a tremendous rabbi. And they redeem him. And not only do they redeem him, they put him at the head of all of them. He becomes their rabbi. And all the other people are looking. The other people from the boat, the people that had mocked him. And uh, anyways, the rabbi had pity on them. And he asked his community to please come and help redeem all of them. It's a mushal. An analogy that's given to tell us how Torah study can never be taken away no matter from you, no matter whatever happens. You know, I just want to share with you, this is a must of the true story that happened. One of the questions that people ask is, how did the Torah get from Babylonia to Africa? We understand that there were constantly Jews traveling between Israel and Babylonia. I understand. But when did the Jews go to Africa? Rome? We also understand. 
the Roman Empire, we, we hear in the Talmud, there's a lot of discussions. The Rabbi Akiva, the Talmud shares with us, went to Rome. How did it get south? Not only how did it get south, but how did Jews end up in Cord Cordova? Cordoba? How do you say it? Cordoba. Cordoba. How did Jews end up in Alexandria? So, what? Chabad. Chabad. <laughs> Correct. But let me tell you the story, the legend. There was a boat that had four rabbis. One of the rabbis had his wife and son on the boat. They were going to a friend's wedding from around, around Rome. They were just taking a boat a little bit south. But if you, if you know the map, I don't know it so well, so I may make a mistake here, but where Rome is, there's like a little, this water, and, and they were just going south in that mainland of water. Okay, so let's say they were here, and they could have, you know, they could have gone ahead and just traveled it, but they took a boat. They went down the west coast of Italy. There you go, thank you. They went down the west coast of Italy. Unfortunately, the boat was taken over by pirates. Now this story takes us back more than a thousand years ago. Um, it takes us back before the times of, about the times of Rashi, yeah, about a thousand years ago. The boat was taken over by pirates. Ibn Rumahim, I believe, was the pirate's name. It's, it's a recorded story, because, and you'll see why soon, with all the details. The pirate went ahead and he knew he found four big Torah scholars, he knew he'll get big money. And he deposited each Torah scholar in a different city. One of them in Alexandria, one of them in Tunis, one of them in Cordova, and I'm missing the fourth city. Alexandria, Tunis, Cordova. It's, it's, it's slipping me now. And each city paid tremendous wealth for each one of these rabbis. Unfortunately, or tragically, the rabbi who had a wife on the boat, so the pirates wanted to keep his wife and marry her, and the, she understood what was going to happen, and she turns to her husband, and in Hebrew asked, if I commit suicide, will Hashem give me a portion of the world to come? Because we know committing suicide in Torah is, is one of the worst of eras. And her husband responded based on a pasuk that in your situation, you're, you're, you're committing suicide on behalf of the Torah due to this incident and, and uh, yes, Hashem will forgive you and she jumps into the water. Okay, this Hashem. And, uh, this, but this rabbi together with his son, they ended up going, I think, I think it was, I didn't look, look up the story beforehand, so I may be getting a few details wrong, but I think they ended up in the city of Cordova. And they went there. The city of Cordova had a rabbi at the time. And no one knew who these people were. You know, it's not like they had Facebook or they could just check it up. They didn't know. But this rabbi was giving a lecture. The city rabbi. When the ransom person, he got up and he corrected the rabbi. He couldn't stand the mistake he had made. It was a big mistake. The rabbi walks over to, to this person who had been ransomed and he said, You know what? I don't know who you are but I hear from your response that you're certainly more worthy than me. And he made him the rabbi of Cordova. 
and at that point he established the whole yeshiva for him, etc. You know, so we talk about uh, how the Torah can never be taken with you. This is something that we all know in our own life. So our, the Torah can the Torah becomes one with us, and that is also the best way. You know, if you can't fall, there's many things. If you can't fall asleep at night, one of the things to do is think Torah. It makes you fall asleep right away. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the personal experience. You should say Shema. Correct. Correct. Let's go ahead and we'll learn two more paragraphs. Can we go a few more minutes? Yeah. Let's learn two more paragraphs and we'll save the last paragraph for next week. The last paragraph is a knockout. But this is the meaning of the verse. Thy Torah is within my inner parts. Inward parts. We say that the Torah is within me. Now Rashi goes ahead and he gives us a literal translation. Let's look at number 8 in the footnote. The Torah is within me. Even my food is according to your lie, neither unclean beasts nor untied produce. So Rashi says, what does it mean? That within my intestines is the Torah. It means that all that's within my intestines is kosher according to the Torah. That's the way Rashi, the literal translation. But now we have a much bigger understanding when it says the Torah is within me. It means that the Torah is within me. The, the Torah, the wisdom of the Torah, the God within the Torah is within me. Because like we said, when we learn Torah, we, Hashem surrounds us, but we surround the Torah. So the Torah is within me. The Torah is within me. When we say, the Torah is my life, the Torah is my life. The title of this week's class is What is the Bread of My Soul? The Bread is, your, the, bread is the Torah. The, the bread becomes one with you, the Torah becomes one with you. It is also stated in Eitz Chaim, which Eitz Chaim is Kabbalah, Portal 44, Chapter 3, that the garments of the soul in Gan Eden Paradise are the commandments, while the Torah is the food for the souls which during life on earth had occupied themselves in the study of the Torah for its own sake. So again, we're bringing a proof from the, from the Zohar that Torah becomes one with you. As it says clearly, that Torah is the food of the souls in Gan Eden. But, fascinatingly, the Zohar adds which Torah study is food? Torah study that is Lishma. Lishma means for its own sake. Normally we translate the Shema Torah, the Shema Mid, you're learning Torah for the, sake of, for the sake of connecting to Hashem. But, if we say you're learning Torah for the sake of connecting to Hashem, had, why do you need to learn Torah for, this, for the sake of studying Torah and in order for it to be food for you? Like, what we're saying, which Torah becomes one with you? The Torah that you learn for its own sake. What does that mean? So the Kabbalah continues, it is similarly written in the Zohar. As for the meaning of its own, for its own sake, what it, why? it is study with the intent to attach one's soul to God through the comprehension of the Torah, each one according to his intellect, as explained in Priyat Chaim, meaning when we go ahead and we learn Torah in order to connect with Hashem, that's what's happening. We're connecting with Hashem, we're becoming one with Hashem. 
So what's the summary of what we discussed? We discussed that Torah not only do we go ahead and create this wonderful union with Hashem, but we said it becomes one with, one with us like food. And you don't need to understand Torah like Rabbi Akiva to create that oneness. You need to understand Torah like Liz knows how to understand Torah. And like Joni, like each one of us, we only need to understand what we could understand. If we do that, we have this tremendous u- unity with Hashem. Next week we're going to go ahead and learn the power of speech. And we're going to learn that if we say something tragic, unfortunately it could have results. And from that, from a specific story we'll learn the, that if we say something good, let's just imagine you know, what results that itself could bring.